Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Welcome. We normally take opportunity to teach through books of the Bible, section by section, kind of verse by verse, chapter by chapter, but over the next couple, couple of weeks, probably up until September, um, what we normally do is during August we'll have either visiting speakers, um, again because we're pretty thin underground, because everyone's kind of here, there and everywhere. I think last year all three of us as pastors were in, was it last year in Austria? Well there was one year, all three of us were away and um, so I think a couple of the guys from, from here, a couple of the elders were sharing and, and so Pastor Pete and Bertram are away, left this morning with 40 people um, from South London gone to Austria. And myself, Pastor Ia here, and uh, Marky and Neil as elders are here and trying to hold it down. And I know it was a stag do last night. It was Courtney's stag do, right? So I noticed that there are actually more empty chairs than there ought to be. (laughs) Um, But praise God. Today we're going to talk about something that relates quite closely to mission, which is at least what's kind of been on many of our hearts over the past few weeks. And uh, we're going to be looking at Luke 5, and it's a bit of a, a strange kind of title for the message, and hopefully you'll, you'll see why um, momentarily. Um, but we're going to be talking about unreasonable provision and irrational partnership. Unreasonable provision and irrational partnership and as you just turn to Luke chapter 5, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to pray and commit our time to the Lord. Father, we do, I do commit myself as speaker and my brothers and sisters and even myself as hearer, as, as listener. Lord, we need your help in both counts. Um, would you provide us grace, Lord, to appreciate what you have to say to us through your word. Thank you, Lord, that it was for them back then. It was to them back then, but it is for us. And um, I pray that you would speak to us as clearly as you did back then, even during this particular incident, Lord. And um, Father, that it would have great effect in our lives um, for your glory and for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. I've got a a bit of a complicated introduction. I hope I don't trip myself up. How many of you ever heard of the term eating crow? Eating crow. You probably wouldn't have unless you're from America because it's an American colloquialism or an idiom, right? Meaning humiliation by admitting wrongness or having been proved wrong after taking a strong position. So you know, like, you know, you're completely, utterly, totally convinced that you're right, and you dig your heels in, <laughs> only to find out later on, actually, that you were wrong. And you have to now eat crow. Have you ever been there? Crow is presumed, <laughs> presumably <laughs> a foul-tasting bird. In the same way that being proved wrong might be emotionally hard to swallow, eating, eating crow, in a sense, is physically hard to swallow. And hopefully you can see the parallel. And you know what I'm saying? It's like you, you've heard someone say before, look, if I'm wrong, I'll eat my hat. A similar British idiom is what? When you're wrong. Amen. To eat humble pie. Apparently the word isn't humble, it's actually humble. An umble, and it's not, a, it's not a South London, you know what I'm saying, um, pronunciation of the word. Umble, um, actually, were the intestines or the offal or the less valuable parts of an animal. So when you eat umble pie, obviously, it's, it's not very tasty. And again, describing what it feels like when you have to take back something that you said or did convinced that you were right, only now to find out that you're wrong. Just f- maybe for the, better, for the benefit of bringing some culture, you guys have heard of Rudyard Kipling, right? Um, he tells a story about a man who falls into a sandpit. And he falls into this sandpit, <clears throat> only to find there's another dude in there. 
and he's looking and this other dude who's in there, <clears throat> he's eating crow, quote-unquote, humble pie. And, and the, 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 the second guy who falls in says, man, he said, I'd never, ever eat like crow. I'd never eat that. And the guy's like, well, I've been in here so long, you get to the point where you eat anything. Never would I eat that. Well, a couple of weeks later, after him actually struggling with hunger, desperation finally forces him to do what he swore that he would never do, which is to eat crow. Have you ever said something that you've had to take back? I know I have, and I probably will do so again in the future at some point. You're in Luke chapter 5? Right, let's read verse 1 to verse 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, that is Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep. And let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. <clears throat> now last week, Bertram smashed it. Oh my goodness. Brother was on fire. Like on another level. I'll have to, you'll have to remind me to, to tell him that when he comes back next week. Maybe I'll just send him a text. That'll make it easier, right? Um, I did already. Um, he spoke about Psalm 23. And the fact that God is our good shepherd who provides for us. <clears throat> in more ways than one. Right Now, I'd like to continue this week with a similar thought, and it's that God provides for, but he also partners with us. God provides for, but he also partners with us. His provision is unreasonable, and his partnership is irrational. That is from a human point of view. Now, at this part of Luke, Jesus is approximately 30 years old, and he's been living up north most of his life. You know that he was born in South, right? Born in Bethlehem, but he's been living up north. Um, and <clears throat> in the previous chapter, he has just started his ministry after being baptized by John in the River Jordan, which took place down south. So Jesus travels a lot between Galilee and Judea, Samaria in the middle, right? And he travels quite a bit up and down. <clears throat> and immediately after Jesus is baptized, he's led into the wilderness by who? By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So don't always feel like when you're going through a difficult time, it's always because you sinned or always because something's wrong. Sometimes you're smack bag dab in the middle of God's will going through difficult times. You know what I'm saying? And that's where Jesus was. A moment ago, a chapter ago, immediately after, after being baptized, Jesus begins his public ministry, speaking in his home church, or synagogue if you like, and reveals himself as the Lord's anointed, as God's anointed. I mean, really, to some degree, he was saying he was the king. And he was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, and they were seeing that taking place right there before their eyes. They, as a result, reject him, and then they try to throw him off the edge of a cliff, right? And he kind of gets away, slips in the crowd. Jesus then um, begins to visit other local towns and cities, 
up north and down south. And he becomes very popular in terms of his teaching, his preaching, healing, and even casting out evil spirits. Very, very popular as a character, as an individual. And crowds flock to see him, which brings us nicely to verse 1 of our text. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. It says, on, on one occasion, while the crowd, obviously he's built up a reputation now, the crowd was pressing in on him. Why? To hear the word of God. To hear the word of God. And it says he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or which is synonymous with the Sea of Galilee, right? Same place. It just kind of depends on where you're at. They're not saying in proximity to the, to the sea De- determines what you will call it. You know what I'm saying? And, <clears throat> and this is obviously back up in his hometown. And notice it says the people are pressing in on him. They're pushing in order to get closer to Jesus. Why? Because they want to hear the word of God. They were hungry for the teaching of God's word. And why not? In a previous chapter in verse 32 it says, And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. In John 7.46 it was said about Jesus, No, no other man ever spoke like this man. Jesus didn't speak like the other religious teachers. He was different. And at this point, the people, they were loving it. They were loving him because he was healing and performing miracles and saying things they'd never heard before and things in ways they'd never, in ways they'd never heard before. And now fast forward 2,000 years later, how do we feel about, about God's word? Are we loving it? Uh, uh, are you hungrily exposing yourself to God's word? I say, I suspect that you could honestly say yes to a degree because <laughs> you're here, right? We're here. No, I don't feel no one pressing in on me, but <clears throat> I suspect you do desire to hear God's word, right? And then the other question is, or are you in a place where, you know, when it comes to God's word, you can kind of take it or leave it. You're not even really sure why you're here. You know I'm saying? Might have been a friend invited you and you're like, well... I can't say I feel like I'm one of the crowd, like I really, really need to hear what God has to say. Or are you in a place where you hear God's word, but you ain't really trying to hear it because it's hard to hear? I think we've all been in that place at certain times in our lives where God is speaking things to us that, that we'd rather not, that we'd rather not consider. So that was where... Where they were, where are, where are we at with regards to God's word? Where are we at? How are we responding to the words of Jesus? Now, although this large group um, are mentioned in verse 1, they're not the ones that will be in focus. Notice, this isn't one or two people, right? It's a crowd. They're pushing and shoving. So in order for Jesus to effectively communicate right, with this large group, He has an idea in verse 2. And it says, And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, reading from the ESV. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So the fishermen who owned the, 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 the boats um, they were out busy cleaning and, and putting away their nets. Possibly, I don't know, listening maybe to what Jesus was saying. Because remember, he's addressing the crowd, but then you've got these fishermen. So maybe they're over here doing their thing and tidying away their nets and so on. And maybe they're possibly listening. And, but it's more like maybe background listening possibly for them, right? Because they're partially distracted by their work. And they're tired, right? Because we're going to find out that they've been fishing all night. When I used to work in a post office, we used to sometimes do overtime. And overtime back then in the post office wasn't an hour or two overtime. You'd do a whole shift of overtime. So when I was on late, I'd start at 1 and I'd finish at 9 p.m. And for me to do overtime means I'm staying at work all night. From 9 to 6 in the morning, I'd do a whole shift. And we'd call it a fruit. These guys had just done a fruit. 
Now, given that the crowds are pressing in, given that the crowds are desiring to hear Jesus, who would you particularly be focusing in on with regards to this picture? And I'm saying crowds, they're desiring to hear the word of God. They're pressing in, they're pushing to hear. But then you've got some other guys who ain't really possibly interested. They're busy. Who would you focus on? I know who I'd focus on, naturally speaking. I'd focus on, I'd focus on the crowd. See, but notice who the text focuses on in these next few verses. Jesus gets in one of the boats just offshore. Because it's like, I don't know, maybe it feels like they're going to push him into the water. So he's like, all right, if I get in a boat and come off into the water, leave them on the land, because they can't cut, leave them on the land, I come out in the water, <clears throat> it works in two ways that's beneficial. One, it, it gives me a bit of space and room to breathe. Two, the water acts as a natural amplifier for his voice. So Jesus finds himself in this other boat. He gets in one of the boats. This boat belongs to Simon. And Jesus asks him to put out or launch the boat out, right? Obviously, that's so that they can move away from the shore. So Simon, Simon was possibly in the boat, and we'll see why in a moment, whilst Jesus is now addressing the audience on the shore. You get the picture? Jesus in the boat, speaking to, and Peter's possibly in the boat with him. It's important that we see that. So Jesus is speaking to the crowd, but his words are potentially also impacting on Simon. And in some sense, you get the impression that Simon is somewhat listening to Jesus. And again, possibly he's adjusting, fixing his nets or whatever in the boat. We don't know. Now, but possibly he's not giving Jesus his full attention. Now, remember, Jesus has just started his ministry, right? At this point, Simon, also known as who? Peter, isn't a committed follower or a disciple of Jesus yet. The first mention of Simon in this book in Luke was only a chapter ago when Jesus healed his mother-in-law. So as far as we know, that's the only interaction they've had. or That's all Luke presents to us in terms of the interaction. So this is a fresh, really fresh relationship, right? And so they weren't substantially um, acquainted at this point. And it's probably on the basis of that last meeting at the house where Jesus heals his mother-in-law. On the basis of that brief interaction that Jesus now takes the liberty maybe to use his boat. I mean, we're going to see that Jesus is actually building a relationship with Simon. And then it's going to be in the next chapter that Jesus is going to call him along with the other 11 as the apostles. I'm trying to say that the relationship's just begun. You know what I'm saying? Now, yet, here is Simon, and Simon at this point probably doesn't know what to do with himself. Jesus is speaking, he's here, it will be a bit like, well, what does he do? Remember, Jesus is a celebrity in the sense that he's become very well known nationally, right? He's up and down the country, and there's a crowd Jesus is, Jesus is a little bit of a celebrity. And it can be unnerving being around a celebrity. Someone famous. I mean, this week, as I mentioned, we've been at Creation Fest. And myself and Pastor E were given the, 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 the responsibility of announcing the bands before they came on. And kind of just doing the little links between the acts on the main stage. So, as you know, like, me and them people say we're like, what's the name? We're like um, Ant and Deck or Black Ant and Deck, I don't know, whatever. So, where they're doing, as we're doing this, we're, we're seeing all of these, these bands and all of these guys come and singers. And, and then one day, I mean, we get, like, one day, like, Governor was there and another day there was um, just um, Scott Cunningham and his band. We, we know quite a few of them, but then there's this band that come and, and, and apparently the guy's big things. But I'd, I think I just about heard his name a few times, maybe, somewhere. I don't, I don't know what he looks like or nothing. I'm like, who's this guy? Cause as, and every time his name's mentioned, everyone's like, ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> Isn't he? 
And the guy's name was Jeremy Camp. Now, I might say that, and you go, ooh, 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 ooh. I don't know. But I didn't know the brother. And so we're there, and, and I mean, I, I, it's funny because just by chance, I don't know how it got there, but I saw his rider, like, just on kind of backstage. And obviously, it's a lot of technical stuff going on backstage. So I see his rider, and I just, I mean, what can I do? I'm just there in it. Um, we're waiting for the next banter, whatever, and I'm kind of, and I'm just, I look, and I look at what, just one, just one, it's like a, it's, it's pages. And one page is like, it's just about lighting. A rider is what you send ahead of your performance to let the people know on stage, backstage, green room, that what you want, what you like. Some people go as far, not, not him, as far as I know, because I didn't read the rest of the rider, but some people, like some big shots, they'll be like, oh, I want seedless grapes, I want water, it has to be sparkling. All of that stuff goes on the rider. So I'm looking, one page of the rider is just about lighting. For the, just, just about lighting for the performance, which lights and how the light. I'm like, whoa, this brother must really be big things. And then tutus, I just keep seeing people coming on the stage before he's going to perform. And as they're coming up, I'm like, oh, is that him? Uh, but then I see guy pull, he pulls out a camera. I say, it can't be him. And I'm like, is that him? And then I see the guy go up to the sound desk. And he's sitting on the, like the, the regular sound guy comes off. And this, this new guy, like Jeremy Camp's sound guy, comes up and he sits on the desk. And like, he's like a pilot. You want to see the desk is like this wide, real complicated. And this is just backstage. This is just the back line. This is just, this is just for the, the monitors. Out front, they've got a whole next like, desk for sound. And, and he's got another guy who takes over the spot there. And he sits there. And, and they, even, brother, was he saying this? It took, it took a certain amount of time for them just to load up the settings. And this was a big, like, this is a big transition. A lot of the transitions, we were going out one minute. Okay, everyone, you guys having a good time at, at Creation Fest? How about the campers? Heidi, hi, ho de ho. And then, okay, here comes the next band. Da, 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 da. Like one minute. This is some long thing now where we're... <sighs> anyway, eventually, cameraman, he's got, he's, got, he's got film crew, he's got all of his musicians, they all come on, and I'm like, where's the, this brother? Like, which one is it? Anyway, he comes out and he's hench tattoos and he comes up and he's co- he looks cool and and all now i'm like because i'm thinking when he comes up i know who i'm like i don't know who this guy is but he would the, the band were amazing but as i stood up there i realized i was in the presence of a celebrity whether i knew it or not i, I pre- and I'm saying, when he finally come on, you could see everybody was a little, stage manager was a bit, stage manager was a bit nervous. Obviously, like, the, the, every, everybody, everybody just seen the, and I thought, wow. Now, I told that big old long story just to say how unnerving it can be to be around someone famous. And partially because I know my message ain't really going to be that long today. I suppose I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to pad it out to my own detriment, right? Yeah, okay. And he's like, so Simon's in the boat with Jesus, who's a celebrity. And I'm thinking, Simon's like, what do I do? I don't know. It's like, I'm here and he's here. And he's, maybe, maybe Simon's trying to play it cool, because that's what you try to do, right? It's like, you dare not ask for an autograph. Like, I knew one of the things that I definitely could not do right back there is say, Jeremy, yo, could you just sign my... No, that's not cool. <laughs> it's like, I pull out my iPhone and say, yo, Jeremy, do you think I can just get a, and get a selfie with, you know what I mean? It's like, although I did take one, I put it on my Instagram. I rarely use the thing. Me and Pastor E, you might have seen it, I don't know. And it's like, but Simon's, he can't do any of these things, right? Because it's not cool. <laughs> but Simon knows, look, Jesus is speaking. Guess what? All eyes are on Jesus. And if Simon's in the boat, all eyes are on... It's like, what do I do? I don't know. Maybe he's playing with... He's fixing his nets and, and, and fixing them like more. Because they're already fixed. And As people are looking at Jesus, they can't help but see him. Simon probably, possibly... Just sat there and listened. Unlike those in the crowd... Simon hadn't been desiring to hear the words of Jesus, unlike the crowd, right? He hadn't come out of his house looking for Jesus. 
He hadn't, he, hadn't made, he hadn't made plans to find Jesus, yet he finds that Jesus found him. Can you see that? Verse 4. And when he, that is Jesus, had finished speaking, we don't hear anything about what he said. When Jesus had finished, because the emphasis ain't on the crowd, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out is the way it's translated in the ESV. And that's that word again, put out or launch out, but into deeper water this time, as opposed to previously. And this is why I'm suggesting that Peter was actually in the boat, because he's having this conversation. Okay, we've come out this far. All right, put out or launch out a little bit further. Jesus says to Simon, Put out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master. (laughs) I suppose there's something that Peter sees about Jesus that commands respect from Simon. Master. But Simon can't help but be Simon, right? He's like, Master. We toiled all night. Wait a minute. We toiled all night and took nothing. It's like... I wonder if some of the things that Jesus had said had sprung to mind, but obviously that wasn't at the forefront of his mind because he wasn't asking him about, what did you mean when you said um, a man went out to sow seed? He doesn't ask him anything like that, right? He responds directly to the question that Jesus asks. He's like, he's like Jesus, look, I know that you're an expert in your field when it comes to preaching and teaching, Right, like the whole Bible teaching thing, I can see, I saw, hey, you're heavy. But out here on the lake, this is another thing. Out here on the lake, I really don't care how famous you are. I swear you're a carpenter. Oh, and I'm a fisherman. Like, who does this guy think he possibly actually is? (laughs) Plus, Simon has been up all night, right? So you know that he's tired and touchy, if he's anything like me, you know what I mean? Plus, the nets have been, they've been washed and wrapped up. You want me to go back? You know how long it takes to wrap up the net and clean the net? And you want me to go back up? So you can, you can sense that this is where Simon's coming from, right? But then in a moment, Simon surprisingly catches himself And then he makes a statement contradicting himself. (laughs) He says, we toiled all night and we took nothing. (sighs) All right then. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And I don't know if it's a frustrated, all right then. Okay, just because you asked and, you know, maybe you said something in your message that did kind of strike my heart and helped me. Okay, then we'll go out and, or I don't know if it was, all right Maybe it was linked to master, something you heard him say, or possibly the fact that he remembered in the last chapter that Jesus had healed his mother-in-law. I don't know, because we're not told. But Peter's like, okay. Contradicts himself. He says, at your word, I'll let down in it. question is, have you ever done that? Have you? Robert, would you do such and such a thing? No! No, 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 no! Like, where's Linda? Linda's not here. I can't pick on her. If she's here, I'll pick on her. Robert, do such a... No, 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 no. I'm not doing it. I'm not... No, I'm not doing it. And then after thinking about it, like five minutes later, right, I changed my mind. And I'm... Okay, it happened this morning. And what we tend to do very often is we react on impulse and we respond on reflection. I don't know. Is, Is that just me? Oh, is that just me and Simon? I've got a hand in the back there. Okay, amen. Praise the Lord. We often react on impulse and then respond on reflection. It's typical human fallen nature. Hello? It can be very it can be a very humbling experience when we say one thing and then we do another. And that's why we need to be quick to hear, right? James 1.19. Be quick to hear and slow to speak. 
the problem is we always the problem is I always get it the wrong way around. I'm always quick to speak and slow to hear and then quick to get angry, right? And <clears throat> and it's a good thing that Simon reconsidered and contradicted himself, right? Because look at verse six. And when they had done this, that is when they'd gone out, possibly against their will and even their better judgment, when they went out and they'd done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. Peter sees here that Jesus isn't just a famous, gifted, public speaker slash preacher or just a carpenter. All of a sudden, Jesus becomes even more significant to Simon, who is now in a process of having a very significant moment in his life. Peter is a seasoned, experienced professional fisherman who knows his stuff, but he's also a very arrogant, weak, impetuous, impulsive, which means hasty or hot-headed, He's a, he's a humbled human. Have you ever been so convinced that you're so right? Only to be proven wrong and have to eat crow. Not the modern day South London street version of crow. Have to eat awful, which is awful. And eat humble pie, humble pie. And that is humbling. And that publicly in front of others, it seems like as well as Simon, there were others on the boat. Look at verse 7. It says, they signaled to their partners. It sounds like it wasn't just Jesus on the boat. It wasn't just Peter and Jesus on the boat. It sounds like there was maybe a couple of Peter's workmen, other fishermen that worked with Peter on the boat. Hey, fancy that. Because it says they signal to their partners now. Because remember, they're out in the deep with G- they, all this fish. They begin to signal to their partners to come in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boats so that, it bega- so that they began to sink. Wow. This is obviously a miracle, but it's even more than that. It's amazing that Jesus could make the fish swim into the net. Especially since they didn't feel like like getting caught all night, right? The fish all swim into the net. But that's a miracle. But it was also very gracious of Jesus to provide these fish that were going to benefit so many, particularly Peter and his fishing business, right, and his partners. It's a miracle, but it's also very, very gracious. Very gracious of Jesus to provide, and that so abundantly. Amen? That's why I've called it unreasonable provision. This overwhelming display of power and grace contribute to changing Simon's life forever. There's a quote about grace. It's from Anne Lamott. And she says, I do not at all understand the mystery of grace. Only that it meets us where we are, but does not leave us where it found us. Peter sees in Jesus something very powerful. He sees incredible authority. I mean, how are you going to make fish swim? How are you going to heal someone who is evidently ill to the point where the next moment they can get up and serve you like his mother-in-law in the previous chapter? I'm like, Peter is very, very aware of the power that Jesus has and his authority. But also his extreme kindness and his amazing graciousness. You try and find that combination in any one person apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at his response in verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he's like, oh my gosh. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man. O Lord. It's amazing the strange ways in which Jesus can bring a person to repentance. Now, if, it's, if it's our way, we've got our ways of bringing people to repentance, right? 
Jesus by showing great grace in providing in abundance and in authority over creation or over the creature, it causes an astonishing response from Simon who falls to his knees in worship, in brokenness and surrender. He now sees Jesus for who he really is. And seeing Jesus for who he really is helps us to see who we really are. In Job 42, Job had a similar experience. It says in verse 5 and 6, I heard of you by the hearing of the ear. I mean, if you know hearing is one thing. But now, I, now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I tell you, when you really see God for who he really is, this is always the first response. This is always the first response. And, and when confronted with the Lord in similar fashion, Isaiah takes it even further. He says, and I said in verse 5 of Isaiah chapter 6, he says, and I said, woe is me, for I'm lost, ESV, undone, King James, destroyed, Net Bible, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Do you see how similar the response is? One of, as I see you, I see myself in my wretchedness, and I, and I actually recognize your greatness and your authority. You're the king. You're the Lord of hosts. That's why Peter bows. That's why Simon Peter bows. I think it was Dean um, was saying the other day in community group. It'd be like, how do you miss it? How do you miss Jesus is God manifest in the flesh? When it says that clearly in John chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1. Clearly Jesus is God. He's the, he's the, he's the express image of God. You want to see what God looks like? Look at Jesus. You know what I'm saying? He's the word become flesh tabernacle or come and dwell among us right in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god and the word verse 14 john chapter 1 became flesh and dwelt among us it's like how do you miss it right at the end of matthew all you see that like, i think it's in chapter 20 about two or three times the disciples are bowing down before jesus you know what I'm saying? And worshiping Jesus. Thomas comes in after saying, you know what? I don't believe he's, re- what do you mean he's resurrected? I believe it when I see him and I can put my hand in the holes and here comes Jesus walking through the wall. And Thomas hits the ground and he says, my Lord and my, my God. Like, how do you miss that Jesus is, is God? How do you miss that he's the king? Well, sometimes maybe it's not that clear. Because one, we're not looking for it, and two, we can't see. But Peter does, just like Job did, just like Isaiah does. And I know it's a testimony of, of many of us here today. And see, a proper response of honesty and humility and repentance in the light of one's sinfulness is, I'm a wretch. And notice he doesn't just say, you know, I've made a few mistakes. I've done a few naughty things. It's deeper than that. He says, at my core, I'm rotten. Everything about me is wrong. I'm not just a man who sins. I'm a sinful man. So he bows, realizing that he was in the presence of, of some divine being. And he says, depart from me. Now, I, I, I don't know fully how that works, really. Maybe, maybe it should have been him that legged it, because it's a bit maybe off-key saying, depart from me. But I don't think that's what's going on. I think he's probably paralyzed at this point. And he knows there needs to be a separation, because he can't take being in the presence of this person, knowing his condition. Depart from me. I shouldn't be here. Why'd you, why'd you, why have you got me in the boat? All them people, they want you. They're looking for you. They desire to hear you. I'm just here by default. I never even chose to be here. And yet you're right next to me. You're in front of me. 
showing me such grace and power personally. Depart from me. This is an expression of Peter's humility and his consciousness of his unworthiness in the face of Jesus' unreasonable provision. Romans 2 verse 4, so consistent with the rest of the scriptures. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It's the goodness of God, New King James, that leads us to repentance. It's when you say, God, you're so good to me. It's not the big stick. It's, it's not even hellfire and judgment. And I mean, that's not what's going to make you turn or burn. And I mean, what I'm seeing here in, Pete, in Simon's life is Jesus showing him amazing grace and goodness. And this is what contributes to breaking him. You want to see someone broken? Emulate Jesus, isn't it? Love them. Romans says, heap coals of fire on a person's head. What, literally? Not at all. <laughs> He'd love to be able to do that, innit? <laughs> Set fire to somebody. Burn down their house. <laughs> no. <laughs> No. In the context, it's talking about loving them. <laughs> forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Wow. See? And it's not just Simon who's deeply affected by this display of mercy and grace. Verse 9 says, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they'd taken. Verse 10, And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee. Wow. I mean, let me not get ahead of myself. Who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. This is so beautiful. This is so beautiful. Jesus does I mean, up until this point, it's amazing what he's done. But there's more? There's more? It's funny how Peter thought that he knew about fishing, right? I mean, he was a, he's a professional fisherman. <laughs> Only to see that Jesus is actually the great fisherman. <laughs> Simon Peter being Jesus' great catch of the day. Fishing for people. Catching men as opposed to, to fish was going to mean life and not death as it would normally mean regarding fishing. Obviously, you catch fish. You don't catch fish normally to do anything other than to kill them and eat them. Right? Kill them, gut them, and eat them. We were in, in again, in Creation Fest. It's in Cornwall, which is right down on the south coast. And I think one day, yeah, I popped over. Um, to, to where Mark and Tabitha were staying in one of their cottages and Neil and all the rest of the guys, there's a whole, like, 12 of them, more than that, about 20 of them staying in, like, three cottages, guys from the church here. And so I went, I saw Mark, and as I was having a chat with Mark, little Elijah, Mark's son, he came kind of waddling into the room. He's only a baby. He's, like, what, two and a half, maybe three. So he comes waddling in. And I said, Elijah, how are you? He said, oh, I'm all right. I said, I said where you been? He said, I've been fishing. I was like, you, you've been fishing? He went, I ain't fishing. I said, you and who? Me and my daddy. I said, really? I said, so where's the fish then that you caught? He says, we threw them back. <laughs> I didn't think I'd nail it, but I think. <laughs> I said, you threw them back? What kind of fishing is that? And then we all started laughing because he looked at me confused. Like, my dad told me to throw them back. Now you're telling me that I shouldn't have. Like, what's the deal? But... When we catch fish, we catch them to kill them and eat them. When Jesus talks about catching men, it's the opposite. Rather than bringing death, catching fish from Jesus' perspective was about bringing life. And not only had Jesus caught Peter and James and John, but he was now going to send them to be fishers of men who would then also bring life to others. 
This would be true of Simon's later experience. Right in Acts chapter 2, just at the end of the Gospels, at the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, when Jesus has just left, Acts 2, Peter stands up and he catches 3,000 fish. One time. Talk about nets bursting in a spiritual sense. 3,000 saved from drowning in sin and brought to life. Jesus also says, do not be afraid. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Don't be afraid. It's a bit strange, isn't it? You think, like, mm, how like, where does that come from? Why would the fear be there? And maybe this goes back to him, Peter, on his knees in the presence of God, like overwhelmed now. Seems like a common response to God calling an, an individual into his service, right? Remember Moses? Remember Joshua? Remember Gideon? And here's Simon. I think fear of the commissioner, God. And fear of the commission, right? The impossible task at hand, right? As Paul rightly cries out, who is sufficient for these things? In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. But here, the saints of the past and we ourselves, we can find great encouragement to not be afraid. Because we know that the commission comes with a commitment from the commissioner who we're potentially terrified of. It's amazing. Christianity is amazing. The commissioner on sending us, commissioning us, makes a commitment to us, doesn't he? And that is to never leave or to forsake us. See that in Matthew 28, see it in Hebrews 13. As Jesus, sorry, as, as Jesus, as God said to Joshua, might have been Jesus, in Joshua chapter 1 verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wouldn't you agree that that sounds like an irrational partnership? An irrational partnership. Why would God want to partner with human? Why would God want to partner with someone like Joshua? Who's? Why would God want to partner with Gideon, Moses, me, and you? It's an irrational partnership. The Lord, the Lord Jesus is a man on mission. And part of his mission was to call others who would join or would partner with him on mission. And nothing has changed in that regard, right? Notice verse 11 as we close. And when they had brought their boats to land, I mean, these guys, the guys who went out are not the guys that came back. In more ways than one. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Such was the change and the transformation of their lives. God's irrational partnership with us as fallen and sinful humans is mind-blowingly gracious and undeserved. But it also comes with a challenge, doesn't it? A challenge to forsake everything. What is our response to this? The thing is, if God is prepared to give us everything, how can we hold back anything? There's much that we don't understand, and there's more that we need to learn. I remember when I first became a Christian, I thought, <laughs> I thought I'd become a Christian because I was looking for God. I was on a quest, you know what I'm saying, to find truth. And, and then after a while, I realized that God had actually come looking for me. I felt a bit like Peter. Because the thing is, God wasn't, God wasn't lost. I was. <laughs> looking for him, he was looking for me. And in similar fashion, Jesus comes to us. He comes to you today. Will you let him sit in your boat? And even though what he says may seem to contradict everything that you know or everything that you think you know, your initial human, natural, logical response might be, no, 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 no. And it might not be that arrogant. It might be, 
no, I don't really think that Jesus is for me, the Bible is for me, God is for me, salvation is for me. But why not take a moment like Peter did to just reconsider? Because it might just change your life. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask the, the band, all two members, to come and join me. <laughs> Minimal but substantial. Amen. Praise the Lord, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. That sounds like the quote from, let me not say it. Spoil the moment. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, wow, for just unreasonably providing for us. And in so many ways, not just the sun that rose this morning, that shines on the righteous and on the unrighteous, and literally the rain that falls, which is such a blessing. Father, apart from that, apart from having food to eat, apart from having health and strength, if we're blessed with that today, apart from having friends and family and a career and a home to live in, Lord, apart from all of these amazing things that you unreasonably provide for us, on top of that or above all of that, you give us Jesus. Not, not only the one who would come and die for us and take our place as a substitute for us when we should have been the ones that were executed, Jesus took our place. But then he, on top of that, he comes looking for us to, to provide us with that which he's purchased. Father, it's unreasonable that is your provision. And then once you've provided for us so astoundingly, then you want to you wanna say, there's more. Wow. And knowing your personality, that must so excite you. It must, it must bring you great joy. Because you go even beyond that to say, I want to partner with you. It's irrational, Father. It's irrational. And you, you not only partner with us temporarily, but permanently. You make a promise to be with us forever and that we would also be with you. Thank you. How can we but thank you this afternoon for your unreasonable provision and your, your irrational partnership? Thank you. And it's because of Jesus. And it's in his name and for his sake we pray. Amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.